0: Proverbs, which could equal up to every day of the month. And so I pick a one, pick, pick a verse out of Proverbs. Today's the 23rd, so I just picked verse, actually, 10 and 11 today. So this is not our message, but it's a good, good, good proverb. Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. That's a good, good proverb for today. Today we're in the fourth week of a five-week study about how to failure-proof your marriage. Is it really possible? I really believe that it is. And so if you have missed the last few weeks of this series, I want to bring you up to speed just quickly. Um, And and the reason that we're investing in marriages is obvious. Um, We want to help people who are married stay married to produce the life and the joy and the things that the Lord intended when he invented The institution of marriage. And also, if people who are not married ever will be, we want to lay a foundation for them to help them succeed. So that's what we've been doing. So we're we're talking about and we're making and trying to keep five commitments. And I believe that if you do this, that this will fail your proof your marriage. The first week we talked about we're gonna seek God. We're gonna seek the one with our number two. In my case, that's my wife. We're gonna try to pray together regularly. I was at this wedding yesterday. And I was talking to a guy that I've known for a long time. And uh, he, uh, he he was married, and his marriage unraveled about six or seven years ago. And just happenstance, um, I, I was just talking with him about the pain of that, and he's still, he's still dealing with it after six years. And um, he says, you know one thing that I would do differently? I said, what? He said, I would pray with my wife every day. Now, this is a guy, who doesn't come to this church. He goes to a different church. I was shocked and pleased to hear that answer, he, you know, he, here's what he said. He said, you know, if you pray with your wife every day, it's hard to keep a fight going. And if you know today that you're going to pray with her tomorrow, it, it, it's hard to start a fight because you know you're going to, I mean, it was really good wisdom, stuff that we talked about here. Anyway, so first thing we're going to do is we're going to seek God. Then we're going to fight fair because everybody fights. Fight fair, fight in a way that produces resolution rather than winners because if there's a winner... Okay, and then the last time we talked about the topic of having fun. Remember that one? We talked about face-to-face fun and side-to-side fun and tummy-to-tummy fun. You've forgotten that already. I don't believe you. And um, today we're going to talk about how to stay pure, and the next time we're going to talk about never giving up. So while those are still up there, would you say those out loud with me? We're going to seek God, fight fair, have fun, Stay pure and never give up. So, okay, so today we're going to talk about how to stay pure. Um, How many of you are married? Just quickly. Okay, put your hands back down. Now I want you to listen really carefully because the next questions I ask about raising your hand, you do not want to raise your hand at the wrong moment here, okay? You will be embarrassed if you're not paying attention. These are not trick questions. They're just direct questions. So, okay. So if you, um, if, for those of you who were married, when you were standing at the altar getting ready to say your vows at your wedding, how many of you had a plan at that time and a goal that eventually you'd commit adultery in your marriage? Could I see your head, hands? Okay, no hands going up. Okay. All right. How many of you um, at about that time in your life, you were thinking, you know, I'm getting married now. I'm going to get, I, I got a plan. I'm going to get myself into a raging addiction to pornography. Can I see those? No hands. Okay, so you are listening. That's really good. How about, how about? okay, let's lower the bar a little bit. Um, how about, um, you're not going to get into a full-blown affair. You're not going to go all the way, but you're going to go ahead and have an emotional affair. You're going to give your heart away to somebody who's not your spouse. None of you are planning any of those things. Okay, well, that's, that's good. It's kind of a little bit curious, though, because statistically, statistically, 50 to 75% of the people in America are going to do one or more of those things in the course of their marriage. Yet we don't plan to do it. We don't plan it. And I think that that's, you know, that's a pretty scary truth. And the, the point is is that if you don't plan to not do those things, you very likely will. So I'm going to suggest to you that you make a plan to not do those things. You become proactive. Today I want to talk about how to stay pure. And I'm going to start out in a great scripture, in Hebrews 13, 4. And, and I think it might, might even be the best verse in the whole Bible that talks about how, how to stay pure in a marriage. And it says, marriage should be honored by all. All. So if you're married, you honor your marriage. All. If you are single and you look around, you honor the marriages that you see. If you are single and there is a married girl at your office, you honor her marriage. If you are single and there's a guy at work who is sensitive and he listens and he's married, you honor his marriage. Okay, honored by all. That's what God's saying. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So scripture is telling us that purity matters to God. Purity matters in marriage. There's, um, there are some surveys. There's all kinds of surveys out there if you're interested to look at it, but there's a survey that, that asks the questions of Americans, how, how, how often is, is adultery always wrong is the question. Interesting. Uh, I wonder what you would guess the American average American. 90% of Americans say adultery is always wrong, 90%. and um, Actually, that percentage has gone up recently. In recent years, it used to be lower, but 90% now say that. <laughs> even, though, even though 90% of Americans say that, that it's always wrong, the number of people in America who are committing adultery is increasing. In fact, a University of California study that measured how many people are involved in affairs between 1998 versus 2008, and the number of people involved in, in adultery has doubled in that time. But the number of Americans who believe it's always wrong is over 90, or up to 90 percent. There are some scary things out there um, statistically that I'll, I'll try not to scare you too much. But I want to set the stage here for why this is so important. Younger people are more likely, um, are more likely. In fact, younger women are as as likely as younger men to become unfaithful in their marriage. It used to be that men way outweighed, you know, unfaithfulness. Men was way higher than women. It is still is higher. It still is higher. But when you look at the younger, younger demographics, there's not a statistical difference between women and men who will uh, become unfaithful in their marriage. 57%, get this one, 57% of everybody have used the internet to flirt with somebody. To flirt, just to flirt. So uh, the, question, good, the question I want to ask is why is impurity increasing? Why is it increasing in marriages? And I, there's lots of reasons. I'm going to just give you three. I could have picked any. These are the ones that I that I that I think are the most relevant. So, first one it, I believe is that there are more temptations today than there were in the past. I mean, sure you probably have noticed that there are more and easier ways to be tempted today, and and and, and it's a su- su- surprising number um, of couples, even in the body of Christ, who went on to have something enter into their marriage and, and a violation in their marriage and it was linked back. At f- the first steps happened on Facebook. I mean, it's crazy. There's this group called the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. Okay, that's a long word, but basically we're talking about family lawyers. All right, So they have an association and, and the surveys were done there about, about what is happening in divorce courts. And uh, the, here's, here's what they say. 66%. Of divorce cases now, Facebook comes up in the divorce court. Here's a quote from a clinical psychologist from Loyola um, University. Um, You know, and I I don't. It says I don't think these people typically set out to have affairs. A lot of it's curiosity. They see an old friend or someone they dated and decide to say hello and catch up on where that person is and how they're doing. The psychologist said it comes down to how much time you are spending with your spouse. Ver- versus people on Facebook. The more time you spend on Facebook connecting with other people, the more likely you are to develop feelings for them. I mean, that happened with us. Re- not that happened with us, but, <laughs> but Lisa comes into me one day recently. She says, hey, um, and she mentions this girl named Deb who was kind of like a high school girlfriend of mine that I haven't talked with for decades. She says, hey, Deb made contact with me you know, on Facebook. I said, oh, how's she doing? Where she live? What's going on? And I was curious. And it was fine. It, was, it, it, it happened the correct way. It came by way of my gatekeeper to women. My wife is my gatekeeper. But so often it doesn't go that way. And, um, and it's kind of scary. You know, uh, it, it's not Facebook's fault, it's our fault. There's nothing wrong intrinsically with the idea of social networking, it's where it goes and how it's, how it's not controlled. And, and it's a new temptation. There are more and new temptations. Today, there are entire websites that are only exist so that people can have secret affairs. Complete websites, that's all that they're there for. And some of the really innocuous websites, Craigslist, you know, you can sell a robot on Craigslist and you can buy a new set of tools and some patio furniture and you can find prostitutes right there in the same easy-to-get-to website. I like Craigslist, I've got the app on my phone, I shop on it, I've, I bought things. It's but the temptation is there. It's present. It's, it didn't used to be so easy. And, you know, it could be that the big, biggest game changer of all is the, the technology that's come to us. You know, iPhones and iPads that make it so easy for us. You know, if, if you're my age or maybe a little bit older, it used to be that growing up, if you wanted to look at what we used to call girly magazines, right? Okay, pornography. You, you, you couldn't... It was hard to get. You had to have a friend whose dad had a stash, and the friend found the dad's stash, I can hear from the snickering that this goes, yeah, that's, that's how it worked. <laughs> I mean, that's how it worked. It, was not, it wasn't like today. Now all you need to be is a 13-year-old with a smartphone, and almost instantaneously, you can see things that you never, ever want to see, and no one will know, possibly. Here's a few more stats for you about this. 90% of 8- to 16-year-olds have viewed online pornography, mostly when they're doing homework. That's a great reason for having the computer in the open area, like next to the kitchen or in the, someplace where you can see what's going on, parents. Those of you who are or will be parents, keep it out there where you can see it. The average age of the first internet exposure of pornography is 11 Wow. How old were these children that were up here? They weren't very far away. Um, the largest consumer of internet por- pornography demographic is 12 to 17. That's a temptation. It's just a horrible temptation, and it's taking a lot of people down. So why is impurity in marriage increasing? There's more temptation. The second, another reason, I believe, is that because people are getting married later. People are getting married later. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting married later. But as people get married later, the social dynamics change. And here's, here's how it changes. People, you know, in our culture, even though this isn't God's model for how people should relate, but in our culture, um, what people do is they date. And as they have dating partners, what do they do? They have, in many cases, more sexual partners. And uh, that means that when they eventually do find the one to get married, they bring more sexual baggage into their marriage. It's just a fact. It's not God's will, and it's not what we should try to, but it's just, it's just what goes on in our culture. And, you know, if we get down to brass tacks, even though it's not God's best for them, many dating couples do married couple things, right? They do. And I love you, honey. You're, you're just special. You're my baby. You're my, you know, you're the one well maybe you 're not the one you 're the seventeenth, but you 're the first one you 're the one today i mean i mean i mean <laughs> that 's just a little bit too sarcastic i don 't know, but i mean that 's what we say and 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 you know one thing leads to another, and pretty soon you have this horizontal gymnastics going on underneath the blanket it 's just going on and And then the the conversations go like, you know, you've got a toothbrush at my house and I've got one at your house. I'll give you a drawer. You can keep your... Why don't we just move in together? And they do. And essentially, they're pretending to be married, but they're not. And why is it so painful when they break up? Because they were doing married things. Because there was a spiritual bonding that took place that doesn't come apart easily. It tears apart. And little bits of each of them get stuck to the other when that tearing happens, and it doesn't come apart clean. And so when you do that with your second or your third or your fourth or your 17th different person, then one day the real spouse comes along, and then when things get difficult, you go back to what you've always learned to do. You walk away because all this time you've been training yourself for divorce all these years. The number one way that dating couples break up the, the number one reason they break up is because one of them is cheating on the other. That's the number one way. Our society is training people for unfaithfulness. So, for those of you who aren't married, I want to say to you this really, really important thing. You don't build a life of purity on a foundation of sin. You can't. It just, you can't build a life of purity on a foundation of sin. The best way to prepare for a pure marriage tomorrow is to live a, a pure marriage today. And I know that when you have a preacher up here, it sounds like, especially if you're a guest today, if it sounds like, oh, that guy's a Bible flumper, he's pounding on us, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to do that. I, I'm telling you the truth in love. But I want you to know that for people who would look at that and go, you know, i I'm, I'm I'm already failed this. This does me no good. I'm so thankful for what the Holy Spirit did during worship today because The scriptures say that we serve a God of grace, a a God of grace. It says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and everything becomes new. From this day forward, you can become a son or a daughter of purity. You really can. Why are relationships messed up? There's more temptations. People are getting married later. That's my opinion, by the way. It's not the Bible. It's just my opinion. And then I think a third reason is that there's this growing sense of entitlement. You know, if I want it, I'm going to get it. If you know, if I'm not getting it in my marriage, then I'll find it somewhere else. If if she's not meeting my needs, I'm justified to look at something cuz it makes me feel better or if he's not meeting my emotional needs, you know, I'm going to just go find somebody at work because I am going to bow down to the false god of happiness cuz God wants me happy, right? Oh, that's so cynical, Terry. Don't mean to be. But I've heard the argument. You might have even watched it in the mirror. You might. And there's this growing sense of entitlement in our culture today because people think they've got to get something that they want because they believe they deserve it. So I want to talk about purity. Um, Hebrews 13.4 You know It says the marriage bed should be kept pure. We're gonna stay pure. So let's talk about purity, um, inward and outward purity. I wanna start with outward purity for a minute. So let's talk about the behavior, the outward purity, what we do and what we don't wanna do. Now, you'll notice that this message is not just a list of do this, don't do that, but I'm gonna give you some practical, so here comes some practical part too. Ephesians 5 verse three says this, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity. Not a hint. Now, what is impurity, basically? Basically, it's poison. Impurity is poison. It's another word. And we don't want to have any poison in our marriage. So, now, we're not talking here about there's a little bit of dust in your drinking water. We're talking about there's some cyanide in your drinking water. We're not talking about, hey, you got some mashed potatoes on my chicken pot pie. No, I can't eat it. We're not talking about that. We're talking about your chicken pot pies on the table and in the apartment above you, the sewer pipe broke, came through the ceiling and this thing splashed. I know that's nasty, but you're going to remember it. (laughs) So we're not talking about dust in the water. We're talking about sewer water in the chicken pot pie. (laughs) Now, why would you want any impurities in your marriage? None, it says none, not a hint, no poison in my marriage. So I want to play a little game with you. I'm going to ask if something is a hint of sexual immorality. And if it is, then you can say yes and it'll be safe and I promise not to, uh, to um, point you out and laugh at you or anything, okay? Do I look trustable right now? <laughs> okay, so for example, if you're married and you have sex with your secretary, if you have such a thing, or your babysitter or the pool guy with the six-pack abs... Is there a hint of sexuality, a sexual immorality there? Yeah, okay, all right. So if you look at pornography while you're at work, is there a hint of sexual immorality there? Okay, all right. If you lust after Angelina Jolie, she's not that hot. But if you you think she's a babe and you lust after her, or okay, Brad Pitt, just to be fair, is there a hint? Okay, all right, so there's a hint. How about this one? If you dress provocatively you know you know praise the lord look what the lord gave me you know or, or 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 maybe the lord didn't give you that much so you got yourself some new ones and you said say hey check out what i got <laughs> it's like listen nothing wrong with getting yourself some new ones okay there's nothing wrong with that but keep them between you and your husband i don't need to see them <laughs> have i embarrassed my wife and a close friend There's nothing wrong with it, but keep it between you and your your husband. They're nobody else's business. If you dress provocatively, is there a hint of sexual immorality there? There's a line there somewhere. I'm not trying to tell you how to dress. But if you are turning married men's eyes, ask yourself that question. Is there a hint there? If you you know go do some dirty dancing, <laughs> you know, and you're not with your uh, whatever, I'm, that's a hole that I better not go into. There's a hint there somewhere. I just say there is, ladies. Just to be fair, because I've mostly been picking on the guys. If you read, if you're reading Fifty Shades of Grey, is there a hint of sex? Like, I mean, there's a hint there. There is. I mean, but but I'm you know I, it spices up my marriage if I read some mommy porn. No, it's poison. It's poison. It's sewer water going down into the marriage. And I hate to say it, in, in God's economy, there are not 50 shades of gray. There's black, there's, and there's right, and there's wrong. And sometimes we can rationalize those shades into the color we want it to be. We've got to be careful not. That, that's what S- Solomon is telling his son in Proverbs five. He's talking to her, talking to his son about um, an, an adulterous woman, and he says, "Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Don't get close to it." You know, sometimes when I pick the proverb of the, of the, the day, you know, there are some chapters that it's. All that. They talk about the adulterous woman and the whole thing. There's hardly a, a proverb I can give you to start a sermon, you know, like I like to do that, unless I'm going to read you 14, 14 of them. There are lots of scriptures in the Proverbs. Stay away from that. Stay away from immorality. And I love what Paul said in First Corinthians 6. He says this Flee from sexual immorality. Run, Forrest, run! You know, get away from there. Stop. Just don't go there. Now listen, I know people come to church who aren't Christians. They they say, "Hey, this is stupid." I I'm not doing this. Okay, I enjoyed the jokes, but I'm not going to do this. It's stupid." You can say that. You really can. If you don't if you don't profess to be a follower of Jesus, you don't have this restriction upon you. You really don't. But if you call yourself a Christian, if you really are a follower of the Lord. You can't say, it's my body, I can do whatever I want. You can't, because scripture tells you differently. For, uh, just keep on reading. Flee from sexual immorality. Verse 19, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor. Remember last week's message about honor. Therefore, honor God with your body. Flee from every, anything that would be poisonous. Jesus is talking about it in, in Matthew 5. He says it a little directly. He says, if you're right, I Causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Was he saying literally? I don't think so. I hope not, because next week there's going to be a lot of one-armed cyclopses. <laughs> no. What he's saying, what he's say, what he's saying is that deal with anything that could cause you to sin severely. Deal severely with it. Cut it off if it's causing you to sin. Keep a path far from it. Flee from it. Don't, don't, don't let that poison in there. And I don't know what it would look to you. You know, but I'll tell you some of the boundaries that um, that we've just decided over the years to set, and you know, you might look at that and go, you know, that's a little bit extreme, um, or you might not like them. And I want to very respectfully say to you, okay, have your opinion. I really don't care because I've made these decisions. This is going to be Terry's standards for Terry's life. I'm not trying to project myself as your example, ex- other than the fact that I should. I, I'm wanting to say to you. Be positive and set some standards for yourself. Don't let the world set your standards. So, these are, just, these are just ours. One, I'm never alone with a woman that's not my wife or my daughter, ever. That's hard to do. I, but I'm not. You know, I'm, for a counseling appointment, which happens, people call. I want to talk to the pastor, and I get that. You know, People, they come to church and they don't have a relationship where they feel trusting of somebody, but they figure, oh, the guy's up front, I'll try with him, I'll try to trust him, but they want to talk only to the pastor. I'll meet with people, but, but here's the deal. If you're a woman, we won't be alone. We're not going to be meeting alone. I just don't do it. And as quickly as it's right, I try to move that kind of a counseling setting to a woman-on-woman woman setting. That's where the health will be anyway. That's where the expert on their viewpoint exists. I'm not. I mean, I have some thing to offer because this has the answers. But I just am not alone with women. Not for five minutes in the car, not over lunch, for a business appointment, ever. I just don't do it. And every once in a while, I'll find myself in a place that I got painted into a corner. I'm surprised. And Lisa will get a phone call. Hey, honey i you know, excuse myself, go to the restroom. Honey, I'm at such and such a restaurant. I thought there were going to be more people. It's me and this woman. Get up here. Get over here. <laughs> she understands the importance of that. She's my covering, besides being my wife, and it's really good. Another one is this. Um, Lisa has every password I use. Every password. I got lots of them. You know, you should too. Don't use the same password everywhere on the internet, by the way. That's, nothing to, that's a freebie. That has nothing to do with the message. <laughs> um, but she has all of my passwords. She can see everything on my computer, on my iPad, on my phone. You know, all these electronic devices that I'm careful about. She has every password. There is nothing there that she can't see. And I want her to see everything. I want her to know what's going on there. Everyone. No exceptions. And here's another one. And this is a big deal for Terry. I have a handful of what I would say were, would be my account, my circle of accountability or accountability partners. These are, some of them are sitting in this room and they have my permission. More than that, they have my expectation that if my little toes cross some line that they don't just call me up and say, hey, your toes shouldn't be on that side of the line. They, they have my permission to gently and firmly pull my lungs out of my chest and do whatever it takes to correct me. Truly accountable. They speak into my life. They're, they know me close enough to say, hey, Terry, your attitude here really, really is bad. Clean that up. You know, they, they say those things to me. And, you know, I, I talk to guys sometimes. They say, see, I got that too. It's my wife. And I say, okay, that's kind of stupid. Don't put that kind of weight on your wife. Put it on a guy who can take you. For me, i got to have three because one guy can't take me. <laughs> yeah, Coach Weeks is one of the ones, and he's back to laughing. Yeah, okay. One arm right here. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Anyway, you know, putting that kind of a burden on your wife, it sounds good, but it's not realistic. It just it needs to be a guy. And i you might be thinking, hey, Terry, you know, Are you really that vulnerable that you got to have these guidelines? And I would say this to you. Almost all the time, no. Remember we said, if you don't plan not to do those things, you likely will. I want to be the guy that's planning not to do those things. I don't want to depend on the almost all. That's not good enough. It's just not good enough. And I don't know what you need to do. To stay pure—that's something for you to sort out. You know, I mean, I've heard other couples doing some things. I've heard of couples who um, decided to have a joint account, for example, on Facebook. We don't do that. We've talked about it. It's impractical. The system's not set up for it. You know, Facebook, we have two Facebook accounts in our family, and they have completely different use. Lisa uses hers like it's designed to be. I pretty much ignore mine. If you send me a note by Facebook, I promise you between now and Christmas, I'll look at it. (laughs) I'm just not as frequent. I mean, I'm not that infrequent. But, I mean, there's all kinds of approaches people take about passwords and accounts like that. I mean, I just would say this. You're very, 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 very wise, if you intentionally set some fences to protect your marriage and your purity. Because what we want to do is make sure that our outward behavior is pleasing to the Lord. So even though um, we may do our very best to construct outward purity, eventually we're going to fail. Because it's not in us to stay pure. It's just not there. And um, so I want to talk a bit about uh, how to get the strength because the Lord will provide the strength to become inwardly pure. So let's talk for a minute about inward purity, our heart. What we need to have happen is we need the Lord to transform our hearts. Psalm 119 says, this, there's this wonderful conversation David's asking in Psalm 119. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? They were asking this question back then. That's a great question. I mean, There's temptations, Lord. How do I stay pure? By living according to you. Remember, he was watching pornography from the upper roof, right? That was his version of pornography. He's a peeping Tom. (laughs) Peeping. He says, "How, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you. Hey, he heard my sermon. I seek you. With all my heart, do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, I want to seek you. I'm going to seek you, Lord. I'm going to take your word, and I'm going to tuck it into my heart, and your word is going to help me. It's going to be a guard. It's just going to come up at times. I'm transformed, and I'm washed by your word. It's so good. Romans 12, two tells us this same principle, explains it to us, and, and it says in the King, New King James, says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and, and acceptable and perfect will of God. The message translation really, really relates this well. I like this, this translation. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. wow. That's almost all of us, most of the time. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and re- and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And suddenly, that thing that always used to draw me, like, oh, check that out, you know, just me, right, guys? I mean, I mean that thing that used to draw me no longer has its pull. The gravity's gone. The magnetism, the, it's gone. It's just not quite the same. And it's, it's, it's really good because why would I want something like that, that poison, to seep in? Why would I want it to affect my intimacy with God or hurt my marriage to this gift that the Lord has given me? I don't want that. I don't like sewer water in my chicken pot pie. And there's nothing worse on this earth than a recipe that is half Satan and half sewer water. That's it. That's horrible. And I'm being changed from the inside out. And then all of a sudden, you know, I look at this, and I go realize that my heart actually does matter. It's not just on the outside where so many people, are, that they draw this line of sin and they, do, they draw it in the wrong place. They say, okay, there's this line. Adultery's over there. I am not going over there. They've drawn a line, and it's really good. Draw your line. Don't go over there. What they don't realize is that before you commit that sin of adultery, you cross a whole bunch of other lines of sin between here and there. Hmm, check that. out Nice. You know, my wife hasn't really been paying attention to me lately. I think I'm going to look at that because it makes me feel better. And pretty soon, decision, decision, decision. And the decision to cross this line now becomes another little decision rather than the great big one that it truly is. That line is way back there somewhere. Matthew five twenty eight, Jesus said, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The heart matters. It really does. So we're not just going to con- conform our behavior outwardly, but we're going to let the power of Christ through his word change us and shape us in our heart inwardly. Go away, fly. You can achieve a state of purity that you might right, now, right this moment be thinking, oh, <laughs> you might be thinking, um, is, it, it's not even possible. I want to tell you, that word again from before or during worship, with God all things are possible. There is a level of maturity that you could walk in that you had no idea was available to you. And I've been um, all through this series, including my, the wisdom of my beautiful bride, Lisa. So let's see what she has to say this time. Honey, it's important that people protect their purity, their behavior outwardly in ways that are pleasing to the Lord. How have you and I chosen to protect our purity in outward ways?
1: I agree with you. It's important to protect our purity. It provides a little bit more security in our relationship between each other. And there are a couple of ways in particular that I think of that come to mind um, where we intentionally don't meet with the opposite sex. Like when we're counseling with another woman, I'm always there with you. Um, I would not ever go to coffee with another guy, um, even if it had to do with business, because I just don't want that appearance that there might be something going on. I don't even want a hint of um, uh, the appearance of evil.
0: People Let's talk about inward purity. What specific ways do you protect your inward purity, your heart?
1: First of all, I just want to make it clear that I am not pure. It's not our nature. So, um, spending time with the Lord and refreshing my my mind in Him, first of all, gets me closer to Him and also gets me closer to being pure, as pure as I can possibly be. But, Then some uh, obvious things are, of course, what do I watch on TV? What movies do I watch? What am I reading? What am I listening to? Music definitely can have an effect as well. The closer I am to the Lord, the more I spend time with Him. He will also signal me. He'll give me a check in my spirit about something that is not a a pure thought or a pure um, way. So um, spending time with Him is most valuable.
0: You're really good at helping other women. What kind of advice would you give them about um, how to value their purity?
1: Striving for purity in your relationship builds trust. And um, trust unites and bonds and gives freedom to a relationship. And I think that's what we all want.
0: Purity does matter to us. And it's not because we want to put on airs. Um, It's because we really believe that our marriage is holy. And it's intimate, and it's so valuable to both of us and to the Lord. Um, what are the benefits that we get from fighting for the the purity of our
1: marriage? Go, Diego, go! <laughs>
0: <laughs> that kind of kind of now, if you don't know what that means, that's because you weren't here a couple weeks ago. We were talking about having fun, and you know the message has the information, so I encourage you to go, go back. It's free. It's on the website. But we know what it means, right? Okay, move on. So, you know, unfortunately, because we're sinners, we're imperfect, we struggle. We struggle with anything that's, that's, that's performance-based. We do. And I'm not perfect, and I've failed, and you likely have or will as well. When we sin, our response generally falls into one of three different categories. I'm going to very quickly go over these, and we're going to pray, and we'll be finished. The first one is defensiveness. If you were feeling defensive today while I was talking about purity, you know, well, guys are just like that. Well, it's just not my fault. If she would only, or if, you know, if he would make me feel valued, then I wouldn't. You know, if you've been defensive while I was giving those examples, I really just really plead for you to hear what I have to say to now. And this might sound challenging to you. If you're being defensive, that's a rebellious attitude towards the Lord. Because many times what we do is, you know, first off, nobody is above correction. But what we do is we rationalize our sin and defensiveness is usually how that comes out. We need to let our guard drop just enough to let the Holy Spirit do what He's trying to do because it's for your good. It's not because this church wants to control your behavior. It's not because God wants to control your behavior. It's because God wants to bless you. So get over your defensiveness. The second response that we we get, and it's also wrong, is remorse. Remorse. We say, I'm just bad. I'm horrible. I'm never gonna be anything. I can't change. It's always gonna be this way. And yeah, we're all bad and we're all sinful. But the correct and the act the best response is repentance. It's where we say, Man, I can't believe I've done this again. God, help me. I just keep struggling, I keep going back to this. You know. You know, it's 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 going to your spouse and saying, honey, I'm sorry. I need God to transform me. I need God to heal me. If any of you have a spouse that has or does repent and says, I'm sorry, I want you to consider how much courage it took to get to that place, to say that to you. And I just pray that if you hear those words or you're saying those words, that the Holy Spirit will go full throttle all the way to the end with that. Because the Holy Spirit wants to restore and to build. The Holy Spirit wants to build your marriage, wants to build your tomorrows and bless you. I've let a question, you know, there's this obvious question to ask us when temptation shows up. The question to ask ourselves is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it, you know, is the double take worth it? What you get from it. Allowing your thoughts to go and then action to follow those thoughts. Is it worth it? Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's not worth it. There's no circumstance that's worth it. There's no sexual thrill that's worth it. There's none of that that's worth compromising. I, I, there's nothing that's worth compromising my integrity. There's none of that that's co- worth compromising my, my, my peace with heaven. There's none of that that's worth compromising this relationship that's holy and it's a gift to my life. 1975, let's see, 2013. Is this 38 coming up? I love you, honey. <laughs> it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. And I think that probably some people in this room, because I am, are a little bit under some conviction in some area of our heart and our life where there's something impure. And I want to ask that question. Is it worth it? Is it worth a lost sleep? Is it worth always covering, covering your tracks? Is it worth the worry? Is it worth all the mental energy that you figure how you'll deal with the explosion when it comes? Is it worth it? If you say, yes, it's worth it, then I'm going to suggest that there's probably something that's just a little bit broken in you. And it needs the Lord to touch it. And you need to repent before the Lord because it's just not worth it. So whatever's going on, here's the good news. Whatever it is, whatever it is, when you tell the Lord about it, when we confess to God, the scripture promises something. It says, get this. It says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all of it. So I want to say to you, we're going to seek God. We're going to fight fair. We're going to have fun. We're going to stay pure. And next time we'll talk about uh, we'll never give up. So let's pray. Lord, today, God, Father God, I just pray that you would just sweep over this place with grace and with your love, for every person here who might be under even the smallest amount of conviction Lord that, that as we turn to heaven that we would see something of grace and forgiveness today and, and uh, just coupled with your strength and your power Lord I pray for for people in this room who would view this as an impossible task and, the, and I thank you Lord that you laid a foundation at the beginning of the message before, before we even started that you proclaimed to us you are great great is our God great is our God We sang it, we believe it, it's true. And you then punctuated it by telling us that with with you all things are possible. Lord, I pray for marriages here, present and future, and I ask God for purity to be be our mark. Not holy, not holier than thou, that as we come and go in the marketplace, there would be an authenticity. That we interact with people. We wouldn't somehow be acting like, oh, well, you better do this, or you're not good enough. None of that's in us, Lord. Purge us of that kind of evil pride. It's just not in our hearts. Take it from us. But instead, Lord, there would be authenticity, that we would would be bringers of light, a lot of light, and only itty-bitty amount of salt. We're supposed to be light and salt, Lord, that we'd be full of grace, and that, Lord, that would be a mark upon our lives as well. I thank you for it, Jesus. Amen.